Good evening. This is Alistair Duckworth from BBC America. Breaking news. Tragically, Her Majesty the Queen has died at the elegant age of 96. And now, back to our happy hour. Welcome to Political Playlist. All right. Are we ready, guys? Happy hour. Happy hour. Happy hour. <laughs> that out so bad. Good evening. I am subbing in for Anthony tonight, Alistair Duckworth again, and I'm here on Political Playlist Happy Hour, where I've pulled up a nice cold sherry with my good chaps across the pond. Anne and Michael, evening. Oh, hey, Alistair. How are you, bud? Oh, my God. Welcome to the show. We have our British colleague, uh, who let us off there. Thank you very much. I wish it was uh, under better circumstances. Uh, our, our condolences to the Royal family. Uh, how about Queen Elizabeth? 96. Very sad. Um, yeah. Raising a glass to, to the Queen mum. I mean, it's interesting. Like, I just feel like whatever people's opinions are of the monarchy, of Colin, problematic colonization of all these things. She's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> I just think it's kind of a crazy, I mean, I'm sure even more so if you're British, but it's just a crazy thing of like a, a figure that has been steadfast for our entire lives and even our parents' entire lives what, um, yeah. is gone. Yeah. Try seven decades, longest reigning monarch in the history of mm -hmm. uh of Britain. Mm -hmm. um, here are some other facts. She met with every U.S. president since Harry Truman. She was coronated in 1953, mm -hmm. by the way. Uh, and she was like 26. It was um, 1952, actually. Nine, uh, or, she, oh, or she assumed the throne in 52. She was coronated Coronated. In okay. I think they just, um, you know, they started at the 53 mark. Okay. Sorry. Uh, but she met with every U.S. president from Harry Truman to Biden, with the exception of LBJ. Uh, unclear why. What happened there? I don't know. Well, Lady don't know. Bird didn't want to come. Yeah, unclear. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's it's pretty amazing to think like, you know, she is somebody who has been such a global force in so many ways you know, throughout so many decades of up, down, you know, political turmoil, world, you know, a plight, as it were. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's something that is so fascinating to Americans about the monarchy yeah. because we don't have that here. Right. Purposefully, right? That's the idea. Right, right. <laughs> we, we left. Uh, <laughs> we left the party because of it. But, <laughs> yeah. I think um, that one thing that crossed my mind just in relation to what we do at Political Playlist is like we're always talking about young members of the federal government, elected officials, and, you know, I would say rooting for young people in office. And so two things stuck out to me just in that vein. One being that Queen Elizabeth was 26 when she yeah. assumed the throne. She would have been on our or, playlist sorry, for quite a while. She was coronated when she was 26. Um and so there's something interesting there of like a 26 year old guiding a country in a way that was respected. And I don't know. I mean, like, I'm sure everyone's watched the crown. Obviously there were some hiccups at first. Right. And but. she's the one from that show, right? <laughs> she is Kidding. the crown. Hold for applause. Hold for applause. Um, but kind of 
And I, let me just say, Anthony would have laughed at that joke. Okay. I'm sure he would have. But yeah, Anthony, who is gallivanting at, and around Europe and yes. uh, left us here in a heat wave. He's in a country um, known for pasta and he's eating hamburgers. We'll, we'll unpack that later. <laughs> Anna, go on. Um, but the other thing that stood out to me that I would maybe just like encourage people to consider is, you know, the monarchy, the throne is a head of state, but in a way that's very different than a prime minister or a president, obviously not an elected position, more sort of a traditional figurehead. Um, and I think that, you know, Queen Elizabeth was, as you said, there for what, 70 years. Yeah. And, you know, we have Joe Biden has been in politics for 50. Yeah. And I think that there's like a distinction to be made between the fact that those politicians that we have in office in America who have been holding office for half a century or, you know, a little less than that and are sort of the ruling class of our politicians, is that the same as a monarch who by birth is coronated into this position for seven decades? I think, you know, I just mm -hmm. think there's something to be said and to consider of like, we don't have a monarchy for a reason. <laughs> we have a monarchy because America was founded on new ideas and largely by young, you know, albeit young white men, but young people nonetheless. And I, I just think we've maybe gone away from that a little bit. And now there is this kind of ruling class that seems to have just sort of been able to stand at the top for a really long time. And not that those people don't deserve respect, but um, you know, they, they aren't there by birth. They're there because they were elected. And I just wonder if, you know, we should often look at them stepping aside. Well, I think the, the two things that sort of stuck out to me were, I feel like when we like doing political playlists with you and seeing our young leaders and particularly just the increase of female leadership within the ranks mm -hmm. of politicians and, and quite frankly, the continued progress, <laughs> continued, the continued progress that, that still needs to happen. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's noteworthy that, you know, she is a woman who has reigned over Britain for 70 years Yeah, it, through numerous decades where it, it's presumably so that she, every head of state she was meeting with was a man. And until, recently. until, right. And, and, you know, I think it's, it's sort of fitting that, you know, the last prime minister that she, you know, welcomed to office, you know, was only the third female prime minister. I, I think it's- Yeah, I mean, at least they've had three. <laughs> they've had three, yeah. We, uh, you know, we're getting there. We're getting there. Um, um, yeah. Yeah, I guess like the the takeaway from all of this is, you know, there's, a, there is, I've already seen plenty of criticism of the British monarchy. I think we can all agree there were problematic um many years of problematic uh, policies of the monarchy say? and the empire. But I think that the takeaway for me, at least as just a normal person is it is a weird feeling to have something that steadfast for my entire life be gone. Um, and I think it poses a lot of interesting questions about people who dedicate their lives to public service 
um, and the difference between being elected and being appointed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By birth. Um, well, it, uh, it certainly is a changing of the guard. Um, yeah. And Charles just seems like not quite as fun. So. I, well, I think he maybe is too fun. <laughs> that was his problem <laughs> well, for a while. <laughs> yeah. He liked maybe the Maybe like too fun too in much. private. He, I yeah. should say, I feel like he's not going to be as meme friendly. Oh, probably not. He probably like you actually know? takes that personally. Yeah. He, yeah. He's not so playful. Yeah. R.I.P. Lizzie. Uh, um, all right. Well, uh, back to America and our young whippersnappers in Congress. Um, what are the no malarkey tweets we've been seeing this week, Anna? All right. Well, in Anthony's absence, you and I are just going to have to. Oh, yeah. Anthony's really in here, by the way. Usually we don't let him he talk until Europe. this point of the show. But, you know, he also isn't here. So we. we I did yeah. say he was in Europe. Mm-hmm. You just weren't listening to me. Well, he could have been zooming in again. I guess that's true. Yeah. But we wouldn't make him do that. Um, so, okay, let's get started. Um, this, I'll do one that's maybe going to lighten the mood a little bit. Great. Okay, here we go. We can approach the cannabis issue in a responsible and constitutional way with the state's reform act. This bill would let states decide for themselves what action they could take on cannabis. The bill will also limit marketing to children and allow veterans to access medical cannabis. I think I actually am going to guess this right. I think you know it. I think it's a Republican. Uh-huh. Um, I think I I like her. Uh-huh. And I think that she's maybe one of the few Republicans who supports a sort of measured legalization of cannabis. Uh-huh. And, and is her name is. Nancy Mace? Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. Woo. Look at this. See, I think Anthony's like bad juju for me sure. in the guessing. Sure. Yeah, I, he like screws, screws me up on that. Yeah, so it's really interesting. So I kind of wanted to just go back to this issue that we've talked about before with Nancy Mace and her very pro-cannabis legalization stance because she released a pretty funny, like, graphic, not graphic video, that sounds weird. Um, She released a (laughs) funny video that had sort of of funny kind of like graphics of her wearing like fake sunglasses and little noise, bing, bing, bing noises. So she was high. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um and and so I started to just, you know, she's obviously pushing again this bill that she introduced the States Reform Act. And just a quick rundown of what it would do is that it would remove cannabis from the Schedule One narcotics, which is the big thing that anyone who favors some sort of legalization is behind. Just for reference, scheduled narcotics also include heroin, LSD, and other dangerous narcotics. So, so. you're saying it would make it like not a felony. So it would make where it those it would, other ones are. Yes. If you were not in it. possession or right, selling or right. whatever, you would not be in possession or selling a schedule one narcotic. Right. Um, what would happen is that her bill specifically, <clears throat> which is this is kind of the Republican take, is that it gives the rights to the states to determine what level of cannabis reform they want to impose. And a big issue that this would address is that right now it is very hard for businesses working in the cannabis space to properly bank because a lot of our banks operate Mm. on a federal level. And so by giving it to the States, it would essentially make the financial processes and legitimization of these businesses much 
um, much easier. Um, it would also provide more funding for law enforcement in terms of connecting with communities that have been hit hard by the war on drugs. It would limit marketing to children and people under 21. Um, and then it also has a very, very, very big emphasis on veterans and the ability for veterans to get prescriptions for cannabis from the VA. Got it. Yeah. I mean, it seems like, you know, we're in an era where it's kind of a no brainer to legalize it to then therefore regulate it and yeah. tax it Yeah, uh, in the way that we tax cigarettes and, and alcohol. Well, and Nancy has, should I call her Nancy? Nance. Yeah. She Nance. has a, um, she'd love it. She has an interesting story behind it in that she used cannabis to treat her own PTSD after being a survivor of rape. And I think, again, something that, especially I feel like young politicians who tend to be more vulnerable are really good at is using their personal stories, especially mm -hmm. ones as vulnerable as talking about surviving rape to advance legislation that they feel very strongly about. And in this instance, it's legislation that they feel strongly about. And there are a growing number of Republicans who agree, but you know, by and large, this is a much more democratic issue. And so it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it moves forward because the Democrats do have their own version of the bill that's a little bit more democratic, we might say. It's like mm -hmm. higher taxes, making it more of a federal legalization, that kind of thing. So I don't really know what's going to happen, but hmm. I don't know. Do you feel like, do you, do you feel like this is something that they can work together on? Like, I just, it's so crazy to me that there's these two yeah. separate bills. Well, you know, it, it's funny you say work together because I feel like the tweets that I want to read are a great example of something that seems to really make sense and do good mm -hmm. and yet found no, or, or found actually a surprising amount of compromise, but not necessarily an overwhelming amount yeah. of compromise. So to answer your question, I think that I don't see them finding much compromise on this because I don't think it's a big enough issue for mm -hmm. them to want to celebrate the win of bipartisanship for. But that being said, I'm going to contradict myself now. Maybe that actually bodes well in that it's not a super big issue. Right. Or, or so they a, can kind of quietly work divisive. together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not catch a lot of flack for it. Where if they were working on something like guns or, you yeah. know, abortion, it would be, you know, the cardinal sin. Yeah. Um, It'll be interesting to see. I don't really know what's yeah. going to happen, but I think that people should be aware of Nancy Mace, especially if criminal yep. justice obviously specifically cannabis, but things like that are of interest to you um, and go check out her weird little video that she posted. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to do that. I haven't seen that. That's great. It's funny. All right. Um, so you said your tweets okay. are about so something that should have been bipartisan, but wasn't totally. Well, I should say it was overwhelmingly bipartisan by today's standards, mm -hmm. just not totally by yeah. All time standards. Historical so standards. We're talking, that's the word. <laughs> uh, we're talking about the CHIPS Act. And the CHIPS Frito Act chips. is the semiconductor, uh, Frito Lays semiconductor. Uh -huh. now, uh, semiconductor chips, all of our stuff that we're doing phones, computers, they all have chips in them, right? So uh, here we go. We're experiencing record high inflation and a recession. 
Only Joe Biden could think now is the time to pass another trillion dollar spending bill. Remember, the geniuses who gave us record high inflation during the recession were also the geniuses that planned the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan last year. Oh, okay. Obviously, Republican. <laughs> um, someone who I feel who likes to be a little bit inflammatory. Um, referencing Afghanistan. Is it Dan Crenshaw? Well. Not a terrible guess. Who is it? Any other any other guesses? Um, I'll give you a second try. Okay. Because I think um, you might get the other one that I'm going to read. Okay. L- one more guess on this one. Mm-hmm. Mine well, you're on the be, right track. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian Mast. No, close. Uh-oh. Tom Cotton. Senator okay. Tom Cotton. We sure, haven't talked sure. about him yeah. in a while. Yeah. So I'll get to, we'll get to the sort of like what the, Democrats are arguing what the Republicans are arguing. Yeah. But let me read you another one. Okay. This funding is the Chips and Science Act. The, the, excuse me. Let's retake that. This funding in the Chips and Science Act is the start of expanding U.S. manufacturing and making things in America again. It's going to help create jobs and strengthen our economy. Okay. I have a guess just because it's like the person I think of when I think of chips. Yeah. And it's Haley Stevens. Oh, close. Is that not uh, Rokana? Oh, okay. I mean, yeah. Silicon Valley, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, basically the, the sort of rundown of this is that we were talking about, was it bipartisan? It kind of was. So in the yeah. Senate, it was like 64 to 33 in favor. So it got a bunch of Republicans, including okay. Mitch McConnell. In the House, it was... 243 to 187 and it got 24 republicans including so still on our sm- list yeah go ahead uh tony anthony gonzalez trey hollingsworth peter meyer adam kinzinger now what do all four of those have in common none of them are running for re-election so what does that tell you yep yeah yeah no it's interesting it's i feel like we're seeing this real shift where people in the senate specifically under the <laughs> I say Republicans in the Senate, specifically under the command of Mitch McConnell, yep. are seem to be less worried about voting for things that they feel aligns with what voters might want or what kind of um, can help their platform in the long run. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think Republicans in the House who have to run every two years and a lot of their campaigns hinge on being very anti-Democrat, um, tend to not vote with Democratic bills, even if they might in principle right. agree with them. There's obviously always something they can find wrong with it to say that that's why they didn't vote. Right. So that's just interesting to me. The percentage of Republicans in the Senate was much higher than the percentage of the Republicans in the House. And we should note that the two Republican senators on our platform, uh, Josh Hawley and Tom Cotton. I'm going to guess they did uh, not vote for <laughs> were, were Were no votes on this. Yeah. And I think what's interesting is, so just a quick snapshot of the bill. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like a $280 billion bill, which includes $52 billion in federal subsidies and $24 billion worth of tax breaks for you know, facilitating domestic manufacturing of semiconductors, right? Mm-hmm. So this looks to be a huge um, push and and a legitimate job creator, as well as competing against China and other Asian countries 
where we often farm out our chip making. Right. So that's kind of the, the pro argument of it. The, the, Folks against it say that this is just a massive deficit adder. Um, the CBO, Congressional Budget Office, estimates about 80, call it 80 billion added to the deficit based on this, which, mm. you know, we, we've done worse, right? That's not yeah. like, you know, totally flagrant. But I think what's so interesting about the argument between Democrats and Republicans here is that Democrats are saying, this is an economy booster. This is a jobs creator. This is a tax break for manufacturing. Those are all really good things. And those are kind of Republican things. Right, right. right. And this is going, this is actually upping our competitive edge against With China. China, yeah. Right. And I think it's interesting that folks like Josh Hawley and, and Tom Cotton, you know, they're as hawkish on China as it gets. Right. And and yet I haven't heard a really great argument against this from them. Well, I other think it's, than it's like, you know, oh, increasing the deficit, increasing spending, really hurting inflation. Well, I think that, you know, I do feel like there's something to be said for not pushing too much money into the economy because I think that we've seen that even though a lot of that stimulation helped people on the individual level, it -hmm. did contribute to the inflation that we're seeing. But what's interesting is like, we have to be selective in how we decide to stimulate the economy. And I feel like the Republican argument around pushing money into the economy to pushing $280 billion into the economy, however competitive it might make us with China is not what we should be focusing on right now is a message that probably resonates with a lot of people. And I think even, even for me, like wrapping your head around chip manufacturing, unless you're someone who like does that for, you know, you're in the factory doing that it, is a difficult thing to wrap your head around. And so I think that, A, yes, of course, it's a political move to not vote for it because they want to be able to use inflation as their midterm message. But I also think that it is one of these things where, you know, it's kind of like, what is going to be the short-term payback of this? Is it going to be something that we feel in a positive way in the short term? Or is it going to be something that affects our economy potentially negatively in the short term, even though it would grow it and make us more competitive in the long term. And I think that that's kind of the um, the barometer that I think a lot of these Republicans are testing right now. And for messaging purposes, I think they're voting on the short term. Well, but interesting though, I feel like, I wonder if the thing that they're miscalculating on that is that you know, the real voter who they're going to have to target in mm-hmm. the midterms and then subsequently in the 2024 presidential is that, you know, working and middle class independent, right? right? And so this idea that if there was ever a bill that seems to really go after that, it's this because what we forget is like semiconductor jobs within the semiconductor manufacturing space are really high paying jobs. Right. And they're much higher than your average manufacturing 
my concluding statement on this would be yeah. we're kind of in this annoying pattern that I think we're in on a lot of things right now where these issues that should not be super divisive are right. more divisive because people are worried about getting reelected. People are worried about um, the idea of compromise. People are worried about staying on message. And I think that the interesting maybe caveat here is that Mitch McConnell voted for it and that a lot right. of senators voted for it. And so you kind of see that disconnect in the Republican party between people who, I mean, I think Mitch McConnell is just really, really trying to play the long game for Republicans. Right. And then there's people like Josh Hawley and Tom Cotton who perhaps have their own um, self-interest coming first in terms and, of their popularity. You know, I think we see that plenty with people on the far left, like, you know, your AOCs. I mean, and, you see it with whatnot. anyone, I think, who yeah. has like individual political aspirations versus someone right. who is trying to put a democratic agenda in place. Right. Um, but what, so, what's so frustrating to me is like, this is such a thing that can fit into the cotton Holly brand. Yeah. And if I worked for them, I would say, Hey, listen, you can sell this as like a win for your causes that you believe. In well, let's see believe. if they do without mentioning that they didn't. Well, vote right. For well, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't be the first time. Anyway. Um, uh, okay. Anna, My last tweet. Are you ready? Uh, uh, as I'll ever be. Okay. I want you to really think about this because I think that you should be able to guess it based on prior knowledge. Okay. Okay. And to be clear, I have not been fed the questions. <laughs> the climate crisis is happening now and black, brown, and indigenous communities are often hit first and worst by extreme weather. Our communities need resources to fight the climate crisis. Justice 40 must deliver at least 40% of climate investments to disadvantaged communities. Ooh, man. Can I give you a hint? Yeah, that'd be great. Think about <laughs> the term environmental justice. Uh, Nanette Barragon? Yeah. Yeah! Good job. All right, I got it. So yeah, Nanette Diaz-Barragon represents a district in South Los Angeles that is one of the most polluted areas in the country. And the reason I said environmental justice is it's one of her top issues. And environmental justice, what it is, is it is essentially the fact that communities of color, lower income communities often find themselves living in neighborhoods that have industrial facilities built in them that suffer from air and water pollution or contamination, which is what we're seeing in Jackson, Mississippi right now. Mm. Um, and so the next step on this is this thing, Justice 40, that I will explain in a second, but I just wanted to get a reaction from you, Michael, of like, I, we were earlier talking about what's happening in Jackson, Mississippi. And I think, you know, from your perspective, do you feel like, the climate investments we're about to see from the Inflation Reduction Act are going to have an impact on these communities if we can't even get Jackson, Mississippi water. I do. I do. And I think what we're seeing in Jackson is horrendous and, you know, just echoing the the failures of a Flint, Michigan situation. And I think that this is the result of years and years of infrastructure neglect combined with, you know, I like Nanette's term environmental justice because I think what we're seeing with this infrastructure package and coincidentally, uh, Secretary Pete is is in uh, the L.A. region. I still today. call him Mayor Pete. 
Mayor B, Mayor Secretary. He was uh, with, <laughs> and, he did an appearance with Nanette a yep, couple days ago at the with, Port of LA. Um, and today, uh, today being September 8th, the day of recording, he was uh, with uh, Pete Aguilar out in Inland mm-hmm. Empire. You know, and I think what the infrastructure bill and some of their proposals makes very clear is is that case that Nanette is making, which is that, hey, listen, there was a real neglect infrastructure speaking towards these lower income communities, which often Mm -hmm. found to be more of black and brown and people of color. And so I think that the combination of what the infrastructure bill is purporting to do, and hopefully it's executed well, you know, combined with the efforts of places like um, it's climate 40. So, It's called Justice Justice 40. And what this is, is it is a policy now under the Biden administration that 40% of funds spent on climate investments will go to what are called frontline communities or communities that have been hit disproportionately hard by the climate crisis, whether that's through pollution or through over-industrialization, et cetera, et cetera. So what Nanette is saying in this tweet is she's praising, obviously, the investments um, to help combat the effects of climate change and other environmental issues in these communities. But she is specifically calling on the Biden administration to say that this Justice 40 initiative must be delivered. And she and several other Democratic lawmakers, many of whom are on our political playlist list, they wrote a letter. This is a letter, but this was like a good letter. I know we bash letters a lot. (laughs) This is a letter. This is a letter to the administration laying out many, many pages of specific priorities of where this 40% in the Justice 40 promise should go. Uh, Anna, on that note. Cheers. uh, Another great happy hour. Cheers. We had Um, fun without Anthony. We did. We miss him dearly and he'll be back.